0: want to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to read uh, the the scripture text during the morning sermon. I know as many of you are already nervous. He's got seven points this morning. What is going on? Uh, I promise I will try to get out out on time. Uh, But if I do not, um, just offer a little grace to your pastor this morning. Amen. Well, let us uh, go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Uh, Father, uh, you are so good. You are so Glorious, God, uh, we thank you so much for investing uh, your spirit uh, in our worship this morning, God. uh, We thank you that you are our solid rock in which we stand. We thank you that we live in Christ alone. And God, we are so thankful that great is thy faithfulness. God, when we enter into your presence, we are reminded of our own sinfulness, how we have wronged you this past week, how we have not served you as we ought God, forgive us of our transgressions this past week. Uh, Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we come to you this morning through the blood of Christ, knowing that all our sins are forgiven in him. So God, let us feel, let us feel the forgiveness that comes with knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our advocate who stands forever before the Father, interceding for his people. God, we thank you. We thank you. Uh, that we have the privilege uh, to be your people, to gather as your people, to sing your praises, to to pray to a God who hears us and to hear the word that you have so graciously given to us. God, we pray that um, churches across this city would feel that privilege this morning. God, we pray for uh, Jay Hardwick at North Rock Hill Church this morning. God, we we thank you for his uh, passion and vision to make disciples God, we pray that you would be faithful to that church. Allow them to, to continue to make disciples. God, we pray that you would protect uh, the pulpit, protect the preaching of your word. God, we pray even now that as Jay gets up to preach, that you would speak through his heart, uh, through his mouth uh, by your Holy Spirit. Allow people there to be convicted uh, and to run to the cross to find forgiveness. God, we, faith, we pray that now for our own hearts. God, we love your word. God, we love Um, each other. We love you. Uh, So God, we pray that through the word this morning that you would build up your people. God, build us up to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. God, I pray, I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase. God, I pray as we open the word of God that our spirits would be receptive to hear what you would have for us. So God, I pray that anything that I say today would be from you. And the things that are not of you, God, I pray that you would allow them to fall from these people's memory. So God, we enter now into a time of worship as we hear and respond to your word. Uh, Bless us in this endeavor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, During my junior year in college... My, bro- my brother and I drove to Wisconsin from Philadelphia to visit my grandparents uh, for Thanksgiving. Uh, my brother let me borrow his Chevy Blazer uh, to drive cross-country uh, because my 1980 Volkswagen van did not make the trip. Um, so he graciously allowed me to use his car. Well, he needed it back for college, uh, so we were going to pick up a car for my grandparents. Um, you know, I was excited about the prospect of getting a new, used, functional car. The car had been in storage and had not been driven in a few months. Uh, I'll never forget that drive up to the garage. I looked at my brother and I said, Joe, I cannot wait to pick up the Dodge Stratus. It's a nice car. It's in great condition. My brother just started laughing. He started laughing uncontrollably. Uh, He looked at me with tears streaming down his cheeks and said, you're not getting the Stratus. What? He said, you're getting the station wagon. (laughs) My new car was not a a 2000 Dodge Stratus with 10,000 miles. It was a 1986 Mercury Marquis station wagon. White with wood paneling, bright maroon interior. Um, This car would have been perfect for the mom with three kids and a lot of groceries, <laughs> but not for a young and hip redheaded college student. So my excitement of this new car turned to dread because my expectations were not met. See, expectations are a double-edged sword. Uh, when your expectations are high, anything that comes below that expectations makes disappointment happen in your heart. But on the other hand, if your expectations are low, anything exceeding them brings you joy. Proper expectations are extremely important. Last week, I made the case that church membership is biblical. Uh, Today, what I want to do, uh, Lord willing, is help us understand, well, what are the expectations of the healthy church member? I'm already assuming that you believe that church membership is biblical. Uh, If you don't see me at the door, let's set up a time to talk. Um, So today, I'm not going to be exhaustive. Uh, Seven points, Pastor. You're not going to be exhaustive, Uh, but I'm just going to highlight a few things that I think that are missing in the American church culture. Uh, For starters, the expectations of a church member, a healthy church member, are the expectations for a Christian. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, the marks of a true Christian. See, God has high expectations for his people. Listen to what Paul says of the marks of a true Christian. Romans 12:9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Beloved, this is a list that all Christians should aspire to. So you can see, that it'd be very difficult to cover every single one of the attributes of what make a true Christian. Uh, but I hope, Lord willing, I'll just highlight a few of them for you this morning. If you want to find, follow along in the bulletin provided for you, the first point. The healthy church member should love faithfully. The healthy church member should love faithfully. Paul says that even at the beginning of this list. He says, let your love be genuine. Now, love is a staple for the faithful Christian. Jesus says that the two greatest commands are summed up in that word, love. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 to 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourselves. And these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. So in one sense, you can summarize all the expectations of what a healthy church member is in love. We are called to love one another. And we know that the, word, the biblical idea of love is very different than that of the world. There's many secular definitions of of love. So how do we know what is biblical love? Well, one of the best places to turn is to the Bible's love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, we know that 1 Corinthians 13 has been read at many weddings, uh, written on countless Valentine and anniversary cards, coffee mugs. Even before I read, Casey asked me, he says, "'Is someone getting married today?' (laughs) Why are we reading this passage? But although this type of love mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13 should typify a marriage, it was not originally written for a husband and a wife. You know, the context surrounding this chapter is 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Duh, right? We know that. Well, what's in those passages? Well, Paul is discussing how Christians should use their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. The greatest passage of love in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 13, is not written to a husband or wife, but it's written to a church member in loving another church member. How often do we think of that kind of love typifying our churches? So, church member, is your love patient and kind to the others in this church? Or is your love boastful, envious, irritable? Resentful, arrogant, or rude? Does your love insist in its own way? Now, how many problems could be avoided in the church if people did not insist on their own way? I mean, if we didn't insist on having our own preferences being met in the body of Christ. Now, preferences are good. They're God-given. But we should never force our preferences on to other people. Preferences are natural and God given. We all have certain songs that we like more than other songs. But it is unloving to insist that your favorite songs are the ones that should be sung in church. We all have certain preferences of organizations or mission activities that we should support. But it is unloving to insist that your favorite organization or missionary endeavors should be supported the most. True love does not insist on its own way, but rather it puts others first. One of the beauties of having a multi-generational church is that I can look to our younger members and I can say, do not make your preferences, do not put your preferences over the preferences of others. Lay them down for those who are older. And I could look to the older members of our congregation and said, do not put your preferences first, but lay them down for the sake of the body. Both need to hear the same message, but your preferences may be different. How can you come together in loving one another? I mean, what if a church was filled with church members who loved with this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13? I mean, wouldn't you want to be part of that church? Yes, amen. The healthy church member should love faithfully. But also, number two, we should live faithfully. The healthy church member should live faithfully. The Bible calls Christians to live faithfully to Him. God desires His people to live a morally righteous life. Uh, in Peter's first letter to the scattered churches uh, of the dispersion, he says this in chapter 1, verse 13 and following. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action Therefore, the people called by his name, the church, Christians, followers of Christ, should also be holy. Beloved, if you are a healthy church member, you will take sin seriously. Sin brings reproach on the name of Christ. But it also brings reproach on the name of this church. How you live and act in your neighborhood when you go to a restaurant or when you go to have a gathering with your family reflects upon Christ and Christ's bride, Park Baptist Church. Now we, we as parents, know this instinctively uh, because we know what happens in our hearts when we go to, out to a restaurant and our kids don't behave the way we want them to, a behavior that may not be holy. The first response in our heart is, no, you little." you know, we see everyone looking at us and arounding us, and we know that the way my child behaved reflects upon me. It's the same language that God himself uses. As obedient children, do not live like you once did. But as I am holy, you also be holy. The healthy church member understands the importance of living a holy and upright life. You represent Park Baptist Church. But now, hear me. This does not mean that we trust our upright living as as a way to commend us before God. See, even in the passage above, Peter writes, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, as Christians, we set our hope not on what we do for God, but on the grace that He gives us. All our righteous works, all the good deeds that we do cannot erase our sins. Our sin has to be punished. This is why our hope is set fully on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 9 says that we should want to be found in Christ not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law that comes from obedience but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God That depends on faith. See, friend, if you are here today and you are trusting in your good works to go to heaven, please know that God's word and God himself disagree with you. None is righteous. No, not one. All have turned astray. All have lived a life that is not righteous before God. We have become unrighteous, unholy, unrighteous pure. But God, but God has given us his righteousness. See, Jesus lived that righteous and holy life that we were called to live, and yet he never sinned, and he died as a sinner. But after he was dead and buried, what did God do? God raised him from the dead, giving everyone, everyone the opportunity to experience His righteousness through faith in His finished work on the cross. Did you hear that? His finished work on the cross. Your good works do not commend you to God. Christ's good work, His finished work on the cross is what brings you to the Father. Friend, repent from trusting in your good works as your Savior turn and trust in Jesus' finished good work on your behalf on the cross. That's why we sing songs like our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You can be righteous today, but it's not by doing good works, but it's by trusting in the blood of the Savior. And we set our hope fully on this righteousness. And when we set our hope fully on this righteousness, what happens to us? We change, we live differently, and we commend God to our world. See, our new life in Christ is a spotlight shining on God's power to save. So when people see how we've been changed, how we've been transformed by the gospel, they know the gospel's real. Live a holy life, church member. Thirdly, the church member should attend faithfully. The church member should attend faithfully. Now, can I just say this? The church is in a sad state when pastors have to make the argument. That we even have to make the argument that the regular gathering of believers is important. Christians should love to gather with God's people, to sing God's praises, to encourage one another, to hear God's word. But in our day, we have to get up and we have to convince people that gathering with the church is, it's a good thing. But you know what? It's not just a good thing. It's a Bible thing. It's commanded in God's Word. Listen to Hebrews ten, twenty-four and 25. Let us consider how to stir, one, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more you see the day drawing near. So, you see, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the church to stir one another up, to encourage them to to live for God, encourage them to do good works. Because the the, the day is drawing near. The day of drawing near, the day of the Lord, when Jesus Christ Himself is going to return. So, we want to encourage one another to live for Jesus now. But we cannot fulfill those obligations. Without meeting together. How do you encourage one another? How do you stir one another up to good deeds when you don't regularly gather together as God's people? Remember, we talked about last week, the Greek word for, for church, ecclesia, is taken from the, the Old Testament Hebrew word kahal, which means assembly. The church itself, you know, we're not, here's the, here's the door, here's the building, open the door, here's all the people. You remember that? We're the people, okay? We are the gathering. That's why I say, welcome to this gathering of the Park Baptist Church. The healthy church members should be attending faithfully. Now, if you look at the numbers, you look at the statistics, church attendance is just not good. You know, the people of God are not faithful in their church attendance. Now, granted, people get sick, okay? People get vacations. I'm not expecting perfect attendance, I don't think God is expecting perfect attendance. But regular attendance should be the expectation. If you don't guard your time, it is easy to become a part-time churchgoer. Listen to an article um, by Trevin Wax. I quote, Jeff and Christine are 30-something churchgoers who, who love Jesus and love their three kids. They consider themselves faithful members of Life Community Church. Their oldest is about to be in the youth group, and their youngest is finally out of diapers. Christine has been involved in the kids' ministry through the years. Jeff is a deacon. But they are part-timers when it comes to church attendance, and they never set out to be that way. And they're not alone. Recent study shows that the increasing number of evangelicals who are firm in their faith are flabby in their practice of actually gathering with their brothers and sisters in worship. It's the part-time syndrome. And hear me, it can sneak up on any of us. Let's go back to Jeff and Christine. There are 52 Sundays a year. Last year, they attended worship gatherings on 28 of those Sundays, about twice a month or half the time. So what happened? Vacation. To maximize a lot of days, Jeff took the family to the mountains during the kids' spring break, stretching over two weekends, one of which happened to be Easter. There was the summer beach vacation, another stretch of of a week or two weekends, and then a fall getaway. Total five Sundays. Sports. Uh, Their oldest son is on a travel soccer team. Many of the games are on the weekends, and they believe it would be better testimony among unbelievers on Sunday mornings rather than if he let down the team. Nine Sundays. Sickness. Their youngest child goes to preschool and family seems to be susceptible to illness before, um, and sicknesses always seem to hit them on the weekends. Three Sundays. Guest preacher. When Pastor John is out of town, Jeff and Christine usually take the weekend off. They never like the guest preacher as much as Pastor John. Total, three Sundays. Visiting in-laws, two Sundays. Holiday, Thanksgiving weekend, the weekend between Christmas and, and New Year's, two more Sundays. So Jeff and Christine are a fictional couple. They don't exist. But I think their situation is true for many of us and for many in our churches. Many your grandchildren or friends It's actually said that church leaders expect faithful members to be hit or miss in their church attendance. They actually expect them to only be here half the time. Beloved, can I just say that is a low standard. It is a great privilege, is it not, to gather with God's people? Can we make it a priority? I'm not here to guilt you to lay weights on you, to make you feel like you have to come to church. I really want you here. I want you to love to gather with God's people. Because you know what? Jesus Christ gave up his blood for this gathering. Don't you think God's people could give up their Sundays? Third, or the, what, what number am I on? Four? Scary. Submit faithfully. The Healthy Church number submits faithfully should submit faithfully. I mentioned this last week, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. The Bible commands Christians to submit to their church leaders. Now, leadership is difficult. It can be challenging to make decisions in the life of a church community. Because the decisions are made, you know are going to upset certain people. Uh, they're going to affect people's lives. And yet, guess what? Decisions still have to be made. Direction has to be set. But I want you to see something in verse 17 here. He says that leaders should watch out for your souls, and they should do this with what? With joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Hear me. Your submission and trust in this church's leadership ultimately is for your good. It's for your benefit. The greater trust you have in the church's leadership, the the greater joy it is for the pastors, the deacons of this church, to do it with joy. How much easier is it to do things with joy in your life? And how much easier is it? You know, people always say that if you love what you do, I never worked a day in my life because I love what I did. Right? You did it with joy. It's so much easier to go to work. It doesn't feel like work. It's work. It just doesn't feel like it. So the work you, you enjoy, you typically are more productive and are efficient. So this verse in Hebrews is saying that you should submit to your leaders in such a way to keep the, the, the watching of your souls a joy for us. Now, this is not self-aggrandizing, saying, submit to me. I mean, you'll, you'll hear next week when I, when I think about what, what the, the church structure should be in terms of, of leadership, but it's your job to, to, to make caring for you a joy. Because here's the thing, I'm going to be held, be held accountable before God how I care for your souls. And you are going to be held accountable before God and how you submitted to the leadership of this church. Yes, I said that. So, beloved, we, we just have to understand that we have to trust God's word. This is what God's word says. Does God know better than we do? Yes. We just have to trust him. Does that mean that we're going to be perfect? No. Does that mean we're going to make a lot of mistakes? Yes. Are, are we going to make the wrong decisions sometimes? Yes. But if we, if, we, if we do it in a gracious, love-filled environment that is kind and patient, We will be a reflection to the world that Christ is real. The fifth thing we see here is that a healthy church member should give faithfully. A healthy church member should give faithfully. Um, The healthy church member should give their money for the work of the Lord. Uh, The goal uh, or the starting point of New Testament giving uh, should be about 10%. Uh, The Bible in Malachi chapter 3 says that not tithing is equated to robbing God. You know, God has given us resources And we are to, in turn, give back the first fruits unto him as a sign of appreciation for what he's given to us. See, God expects you to give to his work. That's why he gives you resources in the first place. But he also expects you to do it how? Cheerfully, joyfully, happily, and never begrudgingly. Oh, man, I got to pay my tithe. No, you get to give your money to God. You get to give your money to see people's souls saved. And there's a reason that God wants you to give your money to his work. Let me give you a few of them. The first one is to protect you from the love of money, which endangers your soul. Listen to what 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. God wants you to give so that you will not fall into the, to the snare, into the trap of the love of money. Giving is one way that you protect yourself. Secondly, it proves that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, when we give our treasure to Jesus, guess what Jesus becomes? He becomes our treasure. We are like the ones who who sold all we have to have that pearl of great price. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Giving your money is a way to give your heart to Jesus. Thirdly, it helps support the work of the kingdom. Now, beloved, hear me. It's not necessary for a church to have a full-time vocational pastor. You know, sometimes I hear this conversation in terms of... um, you know, people, I got to give money, I got to pay your salary. Okay, but you know that song we just sang? Great is thy faithfulness. All that I needed, his hand hath provided. Okay, I, I work knowing that God is going to provide for me. But for you to give to the work of this church is a blessing to you, because what have you done for me? You have freed me up to have another job, have to worry about how to provide for my family so that I can study God's Word and I can teach five to six times a week, that I can shepherd you when you have times of, of death, that I can be in the hospital with and pray with you when you're going through difficulty. I don't have to, to, to answer to another employer. I answer to you. Do you hear me? But if there, comes, if there comes a time when you're no longer able to pay me, guess what? I'm, I'm going to provide for my family somehow I may, be able have to, I may have to do less for you, but I'm going to take care of my family. It's your job to take care of me so I can take care of my family. Do you get that? This is one of those sermons that pastors don't like to preach because it sounds like you need to give money to the church. Hear, the, hear me give money to God. God says that in His Word, that how we handle our money is an indicator of our spiritual health. Hear how the Church of America gives. In 2007, a study was done that only 5% of Americans tithe. 5%. And the average Christian gives 2.43% of their income away. Now, if giving is an indicator of our spiritual health, is it any surprise why our churches are dying spiritually. The healthy church members should give faithfully. And the last two points are going to be quick, all right? I'm landing the plane, okay? And I'm still under time. I did it. I did it. All right. Healthy church members should serve faithfully. 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, the expectations of church members is to serve. God has given each of you a gift. He has gifted you uniquely. Why? So that you could build up the body of Christ. In love. Gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, smack dab, 1 Corinthians 13, chapter of love. So use your gifts in love by building up the body of Christ. Now we know what our Lord did. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do not come to church to be served, but to serve and to give your life for others. Do not come to get, but to give. In this we follow Christ's example. The healthy church member should serve faithfully. And lastly, the healthy church member should pray faithfully. Should pray faithfully. Prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God has given the church. See, the church, what we do... We are engaged in supernatural work. If you notice, at the beginning of almost every letter of the New Testament, you see that the author is praying for the, for the churches. One of my favorite prayers is Philippians 1, 9-11. And it says, And it is my prayer, Paul speaking, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, Paul prayed that the love in the church would grow more and more. They would know God's Word. They would know how to live in light of God's Word. They would live holy and pure life, filled with the righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Beloved, can we model this type of prayer for our churches, for this church in particular? Pray that our love would grow, that our love for God's word would grow, that our lives would grow in holiness. We should all strive to be healthy church members. But hear me, you should never look down on those who you don't think are. Hear me. If you don't see someone living the kind of life you want them to live, here's what you are commanded to do. Pray. Bring them before the Father. Because you cannot convict them of their sin. You know who can? God, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God will convict them of their sin and drive them into righteousness. Are you a healthy church member? I hope so. Many of you are. But, if you're, but even if you are not, at least now we know the expectations, don't we? God has high expectations for His people. So, beloved, let us strive to be a healthy church, full of healthy church members to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that our church is built um, on your word. God, we thank you that we are here today because of what you have done for us through your son. Through his sacrifice and resurrection, we have hope. We thank you for that hope. God, we pray that as we set our hope on the gospel, that our lives would change, that our church would change. God, we do pray we do pray that you would allow our love to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that we may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless into the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to the glory and praise of God. We offer this in Christ's name. Amen.